All right, we have uh, Michael Kane, uh, big on education, and Rob and I talk about her all the time here on the podcast. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. supporter, Super PAC, all kinds of stuff to talk about. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. So you were born and raised in New York. Rob and I are from Philly. Uh, I remember back when I was growing up, we would go. I would always go to the Rainbow Room until they closed it. <laughs> Can you tell them to uh, rebuild that and bring that back? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of things uh, that used to be in New York City. I wish I wish would be the case now. You know, it's a lot of things we need to bring back, including freedom, and we're trying. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'll work on the Rainbow Room. <laughs> yeah, could it? So now, when you were growing up, uh, like in high school, what what were your goals? What did you want to be? Where was your head? What was your family like? Were your parents always there for school things, activities, so on and so forth? You know, I've been doing a lot of interviews the last two, three years. No one's ever opened with that. Wow. Um, so yeah, I uh, I grew up in Long Island. Um, I had to, I have and had two amazing parents. My father was a bricklayer. My mother uh, stayed at home till I was ten, and then uh, was was a letter carrier. Um, a big union family, so union was uh, was was a big deal for me. Um, and um, school was was a, a pretty good situation for me. I, I did well in school. Uh, overall, I like schools. You know, teenage years get a little crazy for most of us, and you know, finding myself and all that. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted <laughs> to record music. That's that was that's what it was. You know? <laughs> I had, a, I had a guitar and an amp. I played guitar since I was like eight years old. I built up a studio in my room, and and that's kind of where uh, where my youth uh, took me to. And uh, definitely would be surprised if uh, at that time I knew I'd be a teacher on this podcast right now, yeah. talking about <laughs> the freedom in New York City. You know? well, maybe you could give Rob a few lessons on the guitar as he continues to try yeah, to learn. Yeah, used it. to used to play. <laughs> nice. So, so you're in high school, parents are always around, everything's good with that, you want to be a rock star. Now, as you as you get to co or at the end of high school, maybe you realize that the rock star thing, kind of a long shot, when does it shift to education, teaching, leader type of of career for you? Yeah, so so I um I don't really want to go to college. And my parents are like, well, then find another place to live. So I'm like, well, I'll do that right now. So I'll go to college. I'll go to college. And I go to college. And as I'm there, just like trying to figure things out, I I take a graphic design course because I didn't want to pay people to do the labels on the CDs that me and my, my, my band were trying to kick out. I get a graphic design degree, realize I don't really want to do that. And then someone says to me, Mike, you should teach in New York City. I said, really? They said, yeah, they have this program, this teaching fellows program. You are perfect for it. You're the guy they made this program for. And just so happened it worked out. And I end up uh, going into New York City to teach special education. And I taught special education uh, for 14 years uh, in New York City and, and, and absolutely uh, loved it the, the whole time. And what was it, do you think, that drove you toward, you know, kid, kids with some needs that need some extra help? What drove you in that area? Why not just go to be a regular teacher or whatever it may be? Why did you, what was it maybe growing up, something you saw? What was that niche that you wanted to help out kids like that? 
Well, before I decided to be a teacher, I actually worked with adults with uh, developmental disabilities for about four or five years oh, yeah, while is- I was trying to be a rock star. <laughs> and something, something about that clicked for me. But even beyond that, I always felt from very young some sort of need of a sense of purpose and whatever it was that I was doing, whether it was, you know, guitar or working with uh, disabled populations uh, or uh, being a teacher or, or what I'm doing now. It um, Somebody once made fun of me and said, oh, you need a do-gooder job. And the truth is I do. That was just something that was always in me. Otherwise, I always felt a lack or I felt I needed to to pursue something else as well, too. So it all kind of lined up. So when you take, you know, the four or five years where you're teaching adults with some disabilities and so on, and then 14 years where you're, you're dealing with kids, what are, you know, give some, some stories with the adults and the kids, because if there's a war, you hear all about it. If there's a new drug, you hear all about it. If somebody shoots somebody one out of a gazillion, you hear about it, but you don't hear about that kid that's in New York that is struggling that, you know what, he had a disability, old or young, and they made it out and they have a full career that would give hope to all the other kids and adults that might just have a little thing slowing them down. So give a little bit of story so people that never get to hear about this, what you dealt with, with that, those two times. Yeah. So working with adults with disabilities, one of the big things I did was called employment training specialist or job coach. I help people with disabilities, often pretty severe disabilities, find employment. And sometimes what they needed was, I don't know how to use the bus. Sometimes they didn't know how to dress themselves for work properly. Sometimes they didn't know how to fold the clothes um, at the gap, you know, and I did that with a number of of people with a lot of people, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes it ended up being this individual isn't right for employment, but other times you ended up with the greatest employee the Gap ever had in their life, so enthusiastic to be there and to work there and work there for five, 10 years and more. Um, And, you know, we take so many of these things for granted, but, you know, an adult with Down syndrome or other various um, cognitive issues they oftentimes take their jobs so seriously. It fulfills them so much. Uh, it was really, really a, a great time for me because when working with adults, I mostly worked with those with, I guess you could say, severe and multiple disabilities. And then when I transitioned into school, that's how I started. I first started by working with children with severe and multiple disabilities, wheelchairs, work, walkers, Down syndrome, mm-hmm. autism, all of these different things. And there was this one kid, Lamana, who was from West Africa and he was, this was in East Elmhurst, Queens in in, in a middle school that I worked in and he could hardly move. It took like three men to help him go to the bathroom using a a mechanized wheelchair. And every day he had the biggest smile on his face and was so happy and just made everybody around him so happy. And it was just that reminder, whatever I think I am going through, look at this kid and just look at what he's he's bringing in so i did that for like seven years with kids in extreme situations and i really did love it but then i moved on and started working in more inclusive environments which were kids that had not as severe disabilities we're working to the mainstream curriculum we're looking to graduate high school with a diploma and go to college and um there was there were multiple 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 kids who never felt they were going to make it to get a diploma we're going to 
get into college or do any of those things that me and when good systems were in place, it wasn't just me. Uh, we were able to see that happen. We were able to get people uh, and individuals uh, also not only just with disabilities, but from from the inner city uh, with with issues with with family members and home life and such like that. And we were able to get them to graduate and pair them up with college situations that worked for them, you know, and in a lot of cases, uh, broke cycles of poverty and changed whole directions for for that child and possibly for their whole their whole family. My wife is doing similar work. She's a college counselor still to this day. Um, and she's still doing that day out, day in and day out. And I'd probably be doing it still if they didn't require the COVID shot in New York City. I'd probably Not, still uh, be there. You yeah. Know? And, you know, when, when you speak about, about this, and Rob and I often have too as well, it seems like whether the, the child had a disability, the adult had a disability, mental, whatever it may be, sometimes they just needed hope. Like just someone to come along and give them hope. Yeah. And that, yeah. uh, like a mental health, like, hey, you can do it. You have hope. Not, you know, this is how you're going to be, blah, 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 blah. And you give them hope and drive and they could be something. And I'll tell you personally, you know, if I have, and this isn't uh, like a bad thing, but, you know, I've hired a lot of kids with Asperger's and autism. And I'll tell you what, you put them up against anyone with whatever, you know, their general of greatness is, you have no shot. Right. Yeah. None. <laughs> I yeah, mean, no, it's I, I, amazing. <laughs> no, I, I I hear you completely. Um, sometimes, especially kids, they just need somebody to listen. Sometimes they just need somebody to stop bothering them, to stop being all over them, to stop having their own baggage placed on top of them. Um, and sometimes they need other things. Sometimes I've had kids that that needed me to be tough on them, needed me to hold them to high standards when nobody did, and. And um, I found I found it was really mostly about treating kids like people, uh, treating them like 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 a person um, as opposed to um, a bother or a problem or something that needed fixing. Um, I've also been able to be involved in clubs and situations like that as well. Too. In the last school I was in, we had a staff band and we would play uh to the kids sometimes and we we were really good and they'd get excited what songs are you gonna play at this battle of the bands and all of that stuff just like being real um for the kids uh went, went a long way for me while, while i was in new york city schools i have a, a good friend back home in pennsylvania his name's joey and uh he's god he's got to be in his 40s now down syndrome and uh he would work at the local pizzeria making pizza boxes and he, t you don't realize, you know, that job needs to be done. People need to make pizza yeah. boxes, right? I mean, <laughs> right. especially for this pizza place that was slinging a, a crazy amount of pizzas. And he would be in there, like you kind of said, with that smile on his face. You could have the worst day in the world, and you look at him, and you're like, man. And what happened in Pennsylvania is uh, the place that he was going to, similar thing. They would prepare him for the, I guess, the real world. I don't know what you want to call that, but it lost state funding yes and basically they shut it down but his mom's a very like she's a doer so she found other things and they found a group to put together but it's just sad when you look at state budgets when you look at federal budgets and you know they're cutting you know arts in school they're cutting music in school 
you know, they're even cutting One money shot. now to work athletics. I mean, it's it's getting cut, yeah. which is crazy. But yet yeah. we have money for all this other crazy nonsense. I mean, when does that stop? How do we stop well, so, that? Well, so and and what you're talking about is fast. For for disabled populations, budgets are cut nonstop. In New York, we've had that. That is crazy. Uh, yeah. 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 And um and then for the adults, forget about it. But for but across the board, and uh, now disgraced uh, former New York Governor Cuomo was <laughs> the king of this over a decade. Over a decade, just slicing budgets uh, for the most vulnerable populations in new york and a, and a strange thing what you just brought up rob is i believe a vocational program a vocational work program we had in new york vocational workshops and you would have uh, disabled adults in there working learning skills they were paid very meagerly below right. minimum wage but then what happens is the activists came in and said you're exploiting these people yeah they did and we shouldn't be doing this and in part they shut it down because they say it's discriminatory against the people. But there was a pushback. And thankfully, to a certain degree, what happened is they said, wait a minute, let them have a choice. Don't just shut it down if they want to. Because what became the trend was all of these individuals should be in the community. So they put dayhab sites in the community. And if you have a disability, you should be amongst everybody. Great. That worked for some of them. And other people hated it. Other people didn't want to be amongst us. They wanted to be in their workshop, learning a skill, trying to get to a job, getting a paycheck. So this is like um, the road to hell is paved with great intentions, right? Like, <laughs> and, and sometimes activists will have a tunnel vision about what they think is great for everybody, as opposed to taking a step back. And then once you put that into people who want to cut budgets, forget about it. It's a wrap. It's easy to just make a bad situation worse. And that, and I, I actually was in that industry while that happened uh, in New York. Yeah. yeah. Now in that time, you know, with the adults and children, did you see the government step in at any time and, and give aid, give help, offer anything to those kids and adults in help? I, th there were systems in place that were helpful, but unfortunately, I saw them slowly get whittled away. I didn't see them build. Like when I worked with kids with severe multiple disabilities in New York City, it, I had one classroom with kids that all had real, real, real special needs in a normal school. It was a really, really kind of cool situation. And my kids were embraced in that school. Um, and they were really loved. And you had that in a number of schools. And over time, they slowly got rid of that classroom or put those kids into rooms that weren't really appropriate for them because it was cheaper. And so as opposed to having another classroom like that or having more funds for that classroom or an additional teacher, it always seemed to go in the direction of less and less and less over time. For, so there were good things in place. They just didn't support them and didn't beef them up. They kind of uh, chiseled away at them, unfortunately. And and with those kids and adults, did you see them with, you know, Monday through Friday pills to take A, B, C, D? And the reason why I ask this is because uh, we did some research. So we went and looked at other countries where those countries pay the insurance, excluding Canada. Let's just say Portugal, for example. Those kids who had any type of disability or adults, they didn't have pill things like this. They may have been on one or two things, the top notch, maybe a stem cell or, 
you know, some type of treatment that isn't available here. And that's all they had. And when I see kids and adults here with issues like that, they just got pill after pill after pill after pill. Uh, From what I saw, it was mixed. I saw some that had that. I saw some that didn't have that. And there were definitely quite a few that I wouldn't know that it wasn't brought to my attention what they were doing or weren't doing because I didn't play a role in them taking that medication. So just out of privacy and such, people didn't tell me. So I saw both. I saw that they did have that. I saw that in some situations. I I saw one situation of an adult who was trying to get a job who was clearly medicated into psychosis, who couldn't get a job. And uh, they once they changed that, this individual was better. Um, you know, medication and over-medication is a very, very real thing. And it's been largely normalized uh, in America and in the school and the medical and institution systems. Um, so I have seen some of it, um, but I, as an educator, it wasn't so much my role to administer medications and, and to do those things. So I didn't have as much um, upfront and personal knowledge of all of it. Right, right. Now, was there any ever talk at that period why this is happening? Why are more kids getting autism? Why are more people coming down with Asperger's? Did vaccines as kids or anything like that? Was there any talk of that before Robert Kennedy Jr. not even trying to get into that field? Uh, You know, the Fauci book and, and others. Was there any talk about that maybe being a possibility of some maybe reason why some of these things are the way they are? When I was a professional in the field, basically, no. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing any of that from my colleagues, from parents. Um, nobody was having those conversations with me. But I had heard Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speak some 15, 20 years ago, something around those points. And even before that, in New York City, I'd heard Gary Null, mm. uh, which I think that's where I heard Robert Kennedy for the first time was on Gary Null show. He's been broadcasting in New York City almost 50 years now or something like that. Big natural health uh, proponent. And I had always had it on my radar and in my family and conversations with my sister when she had her kids and my parents thinking about their grandkids and all of that stuff. So from a personal side and curiosity of my of my own. Um, I had learned about that professionally in New York City, zero, (laughs) zero. There was nothing. And I remember when I was getting trained in a master's degree um, for um, for special education, uh, one of my instructors who was, you know, working in the field talking about autism and what is the possibility of why is there this explosion Vaccines were never, ever, ever mentioned. mentioned. Medical interventions of any sort were never mentioned. And what was often brought up, and and this individual and the school seemed to really think it it made sense, was that it was missed. We we didn't notice it. We didn't see it. It was there, right? Um, It wasn't one in (laughs) 10,000. It was there. It just wasn't diagnosed properly and now it's diagnosed oh. properly and overdiagnosed. when you put all of that oh. together there's your one in 30 number that's why it happened oh you mean they didn't notice somebody with asperger's or autism they just didn't notice it because uh, you can't tell i mean no. i mean bobby kennedy i feel <laughs> like speaks fuck. to that 
I feel like Bobby Kennedy speaks to that really well when he says, like, never in a classroom did I see somebody, you know, stimming, uncontrollably hitting themselves and bashing no. their head against the wall. And I don't he said, I don't see any 70 year olds that are doing that now in old age no. homes because we didn't have that. You know, yeah, so, we talk about that. Like yeah. when I was in high school, I'm 41. Rob's. 22. <laughs> um, you know, there was one person that had diabetes, autism. Maybe I can think of one Down syndrome. I didn't yeah. see anyone. And then all of a sudden it was boom. Like, oh, you missed it. <laughs> okay. So I was walking around with 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what and, caused and, this? Um, you know, from, I've, it's something that I've looked at very closely and it does look like um, various forms of, um, of, what's the word synergistic toxicity, especially amongst vaccines has caused this. But I was just talking to a good friend of mine, uh, John Gilmore, who's an activist in New York, uh, just a legend. He's done so much for medical freedom. And he informed me of a friend of his who has a child with autism. John has an adult child with autism too. And his friend sued because where they lived had this horrific mold problem. And the mold was linked to his child's autism as well too so there um it really is synergistic toxicity and i think the tip of the spear clearly is vaccines um but we live in a toxic soup that is playing with us in so many different ways it is so different now trying to navigate nutrition and health and toxicity than even when i was when we were kids i think it was just totally totally different because like what did i get i mean I was vaccinated as a kid. When I get six shots, you know, something like that, nine shots. What there's like seventy five now. They want for a child to get. Um, Crazy. It's it, and like something around twenty seven in the first two years, maybe more. So, uh, actually, that might even be be in the first year. I, I need someone like Bobby or Brian Hooker on here right now to go over the details. Well, I just had just a daughter. So I just had a daughter. That- yeah, I just had a daughter. She's three now. She was three in September, and. I didn't know much, uh, you know, I didn't know as much as I know now then, but I knew to stay away from it enough because uh, I had read the, the book and some other things. And when they went in, they wanted to give my daughter's name's Giabelle. They wanted to give her like 24 or 25. And I was like, you're crazy. Right. I went and looked at what I got. And there was three I think I had gotten when I was like one or two. And I was like, okay, do the three. You know, I'm this, not dead yet. The sad part is, though, even with all the vaccines and all the different shots, you don't even know what you're consuming food-wise yeah. and yeah. In, in drinks anymore. And, and, you know, the FDA or whoever the hell's in charge of that shit, it's just amazing sometimes. Like, you know, like shampoos. I never realized. Shampoo has no – there's no FDA testing or whatever, whoever right. tests it. So you don't even know right. what you're putting in your scalp that may be sinking into your system. Like, how are they hard on all this other shit? And then like, oh, no, well, you could have toxicity going right to your brain. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, and then you think about it. You know, like my grandpa, I remember him bringing bottles of Coca-Cola to the house. Right. Bottle, bottle. Aluminum cans. Aluminum cans, of- fresh food. And, and then that faded out. So, I mean, that plays into the role of everything. Plastics. Everything. Plastic, cheaper. And then, oh, recycle. And then they say recycle so they could sell it to China to then burn it and throw it in the ocean. And then that gets into our food, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a fact. Mm. I'm not making that up with yeah. a tin hat on. That's actually true. No, yeah, the recycling, it's its its just a feel-good campaign. It's just to pat, pat yourself on the back but not really do anything. Yeah, I know. 
So then, Wild. so then you get into Teacher's Choice, and then Bill, well, what was it, Bill one one nine that passed with the the mandates. I'm gonna I mess up the bill number. It was a big bill that passed. Bill one one nine. So now, is this pre-COVID you're talking about? Yeah. So, so the, okay. So, yes. so the big thing that happens in New York before COVID is in 2019. I was a part of fighting that. I wasn't really an activist at the time. I was just a foot soldier. I was just following the leaders of New York. Tell me what to do. They wanted to repeal the religious exemptions That's of vaccination for kids yeah. in New York State. So for as long as vaccines have been required to attend public school in New York State, religious exemptions exist. So we've always had this in New York. So you've always been in school with unvaccinated children. People didn't know it, but they were always there. And in 2019, they repeal it. They repeal it. Cuomo repeals it in seven hours, in one day, with no public comment. The Senate actually closes their doors, doesn't let anybody watch what they're doing. They closed the doors and did it in private like that? Yeah, yeah. It was, was, I mean. Dirty, man. Dirty. It was was mostly Democrats in in New York. It was a super majority of Democrats. And it was mostly them who end up ramming this bill through. And like behind closed doors and stuff, you know, the Republicans were aghast. Like they were like, that was crazy what they just, they were like, that's, I've hardly ever seen anything like that. And when that happens, we start hearing in the back rooms at Albany, the conversation is happening. Well, if children have to be vaccinated to be into schools, why can't the teachers, why shouldn't the teachers have this too? But this is a different time. This is pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I, but this is before I started Teachers for Choice. I come out with a petition called New York Teachers Against Vaccine Mandates for Educators, June 2019. It's still up on change.org. Yeah, and I say we are against all vaccine mandates. For educators, and I, I get my colleagues, they're all signing it. They're like, hell yeah, of course. Like, that's ridiculous. A vaccine mandate for a teacher. And my colleagues say to me, Mike, but what vaccine are they going to force on us? I said, I don't know. It could be the MMR is popular now. There was a fake measles scare. Maybe it's a flu vaccine. I don't know. And who knew it'd be the vaccine that didn't even exist yet that it was going to happen? But they were already having the talks about this pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Pharma has wanted this for a long time. Peter McCullough had paperwork that he showed us from 18 they started. It was a, what was it, a step, and then it was a test. Yeah. Right? Or, like, this is a step in the emails, and then when the way they wanted to push the COVID didn't work, it then went to this is a test. I mean, it's, it like, when you go through the dot, what he had, it is like a horror film. Like, Yeah, yeah well, they've been, they've been preparing for, for, you know, quarantines and lockdowns. And this is something that's been discussed for decades, right? I mean, they've been wargaming it. They've had war games where what if there's a smallpox breakout? What if there is a coronavirus? I mean, they, you know, they, they do that in October of 2019, right, <laughs> right before the pandemic starts. So this is, these germ games are like, uh, it, it, it's, it's an old hat for the military industrial complex. It's something, you know, they they have what's the word for it kind of telegraphed covid for decades like they've been saying it's coming it's coming it's coming. oh here it is there it is yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. then uh what was it like Fe- i think february 2020 was the first actual case that they 
put on their belt in New York, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's about when it first happens. I'm in New York City. I'm a teacher. <laughs> and here's where it goes downhill. downhill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. The conversations start happening. Mayor de Blasio goes from eating uh, takeout in in um, Chinatown and telling everybody <laughs> Trump is crazy. Trump is crazy. Come on out. You know, there's no, there's no we can't have these racist views of our brothers and sisters to almost overnight shutting down New York City. Right. And it's like this huge about face that happens. And probably a week or two before it happens in the schools, teachers, people, students were saying they're going to shut down. Like even like like they have to just the way this media buildup is the craziness of it. We kind of saw it coming and then. They shut down and we go into full remote learning for that entire spring. Um, somewhere around March, I think, um, March, April, May, June, something around that is is, is when we're closed down. Um, and I'm a special ed teacher and I'm teaching kids special education mm. remotely through. I mean, I, I I would come on many days and I would just do 20, 30 minutes of riddles. Because I just wanted to see a kid smile. Many of these kids were in deep depressions. I mean, this remote learning does not work for kids with right. any form of of learning disability. And thank God everybody recognizes that now. That's a one good thing. Everybody's not at that point. It looked to me like they wanted remote learning for everybody forever. That's what it really looked like. That was the type of insanity I thought we were in. Um, and then after that, summer comes, and then. In August, my union, the United Federation of Teachers, the largest local union in the country, says we're, we're opening up the schools again hybrid. Open one day, remote the other day, bada, bada, bada. If you want to come in this building, you have to test. You have to take a COVID test. And this is a random test weekly. Now, it's ridiculous. How does randomly testing a small group of people once a week protect anything? It doesn't. So I know exactly what this is. This is all an, an attack on our civil liberties. So I'm looking at this and I ask a very simple question. I say, what happens with my specimen? And people are like, what do you mean? What happens with my specimen? You're taking a test. I have, Can I use my own company? No, you got to use ours. Okay, what happens with my specimen? And they couldn't answer. I said, what happens to the DNA? On my specimen, are you forced to throw this out? I contact the head of my union, Michael Mulgrew. I contact Mayor Bill de Blasio at the time, his office. Crickets, Nothing. crickets, nobody will answer. I thought this was going to be in writing. Of course not, Mr. Kane, your specimen. Is, I thought this was a simple thing. Right, even if so, you're lying, just say it, right? Even if you're lying, just give the, well, the readout I'll on the paperwork. Though, <laughs> but I'll tell you something. When they know they're lying, they do everything they can not to, oh. especially in writing. Especially. Right, because then you could come back and hit them with that, even you with get, their get, massive get, amount of power. Yeah, you, you'll you'll get you'll get sued. One of the things that just big picture, one of the things I've learned going through all this stuff that we're about to like lay out, um, is that democracy still exists. Rule by the people still exists. It's on a lifeline. It's it's on a thread. But it still exists because this is the example of it. They want to be able to say, shut up, Mr. Kane. We'll do whatever we want. Take your test. They can't do that yet. They want to, but they can't. So what they do is they shut up. And at the time, 
Mary, I just developed a relationship with Mary Holland. She's the president of Children's Health Defense. I bring this to her. She goes, Michael, I think you got a case. I know a guy, Michael Sussman, great civil rights attorney in New York. Go with him. So we go with him. We sue. We win. And what we win in court is that New York City must promise, we, we get this addendum to the contract, a stipulation added on, that the specimens must be destroyed after they give the test. Now, I know this doesn't address the fact that we should have never taken the test to begin with, but this is just one angle of it. Now, fast forward nine months later, after we win in court, a Sheriff Villanueva in L.A. Police Department comes out and gives a press conference, and he says, I've just had an emergency briefing with the FBI, and they've told me the testing company that I'm using on my cops has close ties to the Chinese government and might be data banking the DNA of my cops. And that company is Fulgent Genetics, the same company we had in New York City that we had sued nine months earlier. So we were fully vindicated at that point for our concerns. They So for sure, I'm positive, they took DNA tests, DNA swabs of kids in New York City schools, and they banked, they, they data banked their DNA for whatever they want to do with it. How does that, like how, I just don't understand wow. the whole China thing. Like, how do they let this happen? Like, how is like, you're just like, we're going to let a foreign country just have this information at their disposal. Well, wait, wait, wait. I didn't. Okay. So I didn't say a foreign country. I did. I didn't say a foreign country has it. Let's go over the exact facts. Fulgent <laughs> genetics. Fulgent genetics. Okay. genetics. But has close has close sorry, ties yes, close ties to the Chinese close. government. They do it, with within their board of directors and CEOs and such. They have close ties to the Chinese government. On their website, it says when we take any specimen from you, Basically. we can data bank your DNA. We'll disconnect it from your identity. <laughs> we it won't say Michael Caine's DNA. Sure, it won't. we'll take it. Yeah. We data bank it, and we'll do whatever we want to do with it. And as an employee in, in New York City schools, prior to us suing, I had to agree to that. If I did it, they were going to fire me. Did, my, wow. did anybody's DNA end up in the Chinese government data banks? We won't know. Fulgen Genetics doesn't have to disclose that at all because <laughs> they say we'll do it. And if you agree to this test, it might happen. Who but, made that deal with uh, yeah. Fulgen Genetics. Who made that deal? De Blasio. Bill De Blasio fuck, did not, it. This guy's the devil. He's the walking fucking devil. It's this like fucking it's guy. like you you say. I'm sorry, Mike. This guy's a motherfucker. <laughs> you say Jeez, you say close worse, ties. Worse. You say close ties. Like yeah, yeah. Me and me and, to, mean, me and fuck, Tommy. I hated him when I lived there. Me and Tommy have close ties. So if I got tickets to the Sixers game, hey yeah. Tommy, here you go. It's like just crazy how they do how they get around this shit. Like it it, it is. Um, I think there's relationships there. The Fulgen Genetics is an American-based company. The the founder and CEO, I believe, was a, was a billionaire, uh, a Chinese billionaire that was a naturalized uh, American citizen. Um, so so it, it it got it got a little blurry. But I also want to say this: forget about China. Homeland Security is doing the same thing. I mean, they're trying to data bank DNA. This is this isn't just about like let's rag on China. There's all types of right. privacy violations that are right. happening in this. You know? I I agree with yeah. Mike. Like I don't care if it's China, Connecticut, uh, Venezuela. You know, I never even thought about that. I've never even thought about that question. But that's yeah. a real important question. What I'll they do with I'll it. Tell you. So, and so you're right, Mike. COVID, it doesn't matter where it goes. It could. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. Wow. So this 
this COVID thing has so many different layers to it. I have a good friend, uh, Matt Crawford, who has this um, podcast called Rounding the Earth. He told he this is a really smart guy. He's smarter than me. Um, and he's 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 a math guy um, and an educator. He told me he had a private conversations with professors at schools in, in colleges that talked about the legal definition of rubbish for COVID testing. <sighs> Because once your specimen's thrown out, can it now be taken? And is that DNA now legally the property of whoever takes it? Uh So all of these things that we as normal humans wouldn't think about has been thought about in business and in academia about because there is this sort of war or race for DNA data banks and all the various different things that they want to do. It appears China is in the lead, but Homeland Security is racing to try to keep up with them here in America. You know? I, I wonder if you could take that DNA and make a vote out of that. Make a what? Make a vote. Like take someone's DNA and turn that into a social social security number, a way to vote in the election. I'm not kidding. So, like so I'm not kidding now, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> so now, now what you're talking about is all of the biosecurity stuff because that's a big thing because at the height of COVID, as I'm in New York City schools, and I have to wear my mask to be in my school. And there's only like 40 kids in the building and we have like six feet of space. Six and it's feet. like her, something, <laughs> dystopian insanity happening in New York City schools, right? As that's happening, these videos are breaking of private schools that are putting trackable devices <laughs> on kids and are bragging bragging about we know who went to what water fountain when and how many kids and if they violated the six that's the type of stuff that started happening and in england uh this is a long time ago too to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch you had to have an iris scan in the schools and now in new york they're starting to discuss the the various biosecurity things that might come into the schools, you know, retina scans, palm scans, tracking devices, that is coming up as well, too. So, you know, COVID and vaccines is one layer of it. But this is about a total transformation of society where our individual liberties are gone. You know, that's the real end goal agenda. And one thing I'll say on that, we really have pushed back on that hard and well. Like COVID was supposed to the kingdom and they screwed up. They didn't get it. We pushed back. And we stopped them from getting what they wanted. And that's what I talk about, that democracy is not dead or a republic is not dead. Um, I see I'm a, I'm part, I've been on the streets in New York City getting thousands of people there, 40,000 people in Washington, D.C. for defeat the mandates. Behind the scenes, I helped plan that with a bunch of great people. They really did flinch on that. They really did start to back up. And it gives me hope that the people's power has not been completely taken away they want to completely take it away and they will if we give it to them but there's still an active battle going on that i'm a part of that we're all a part of and i i firmly believe we're winning it now take away you know the red the blue the person whatever just factually based when this went on with donald trump you know, in office, do you think Trump just had a bunch of snakes around him and he didn't realize it? He just had the wrong people around him and this kind of went sour or. So Donald Trump, Donald Trump's in the White House. Um, 
A lot of people don't like it because he kind of does what he wants. He's not controllable, right? You say a lot of things about the guy. He's not controllable. The system doesn't like that. They want a Biden who they really firmly weekend at Bernie's, wind him up, we <laughs> control the guy. That's what they really want. Perfect and description. Trump, Trump yeah. Weekend at and, Bernie's. And Trump wasn't, yeah, yeah, it is. Totally. But, but Trump wasn't that at all, right? But when this happened, when this COVID thing happens, it's above his pay grade. Yeah. And he's too, too egotistical to admit it. And yeah, and he starts to, I mean, he gave Fauci a medal. I mean, it's just, to me, it feels like it was above his pay grade. He couldn't admit that. And then, you know, Jeffrey um, Tucker from the Brownstone Institute did some great, ana- he's done some of the best analysis of like, what the hell went down with Trump's lockdowns? Like, doesn't make sense. Why did this happen? And He's actually narrowed it down to this period of time where he says, wait, here's his public comments, no lockdowns, no nothing. We're not changing the economy. Boom, three days, boom, changes. What happens? Jeffrey Tucker believes there's a high-level meeting. You have some real high-level spooks come into your office, Mr. President. We have this information. If this doesn't happen, all of humanity is going to be dead forever. Blah, 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 blah. I, I think that is what happened. But at the end of the day... I don't care. You're the executive. You're the president. You locked down the country. You gave the okay for that. You let Fauci run wild and loose and do all the things that have been so destructive. The largest wealth transfer in the history of our country, possibly of the world, happens because of these lockdowns. Trump has to own that. And he's not. He's refusing to say, you're right. I screwed that up. That's what that's what I want to hear. You're right. I made this mistake and here's what we'll do next time. And he's refusing to say that. Um, To me, that's a real, real problem in leadership. You got to admit when you're wrong, you got to about face once that happens. If you don't, uh, you can get played if you won't do that. Yeah. And I, I get it partially with him. He had the Russia hoax against him. They were were trying to hit him every which way. So you're looking for someone to trust supposedly these guys you can trust so like you said you're not this is above your pay grade now the whole you know world is in panic so you're just kind of grasping at straws but you're still the president but yeah. what i don't like that he's doing and i think i know why is that now he's it's done the best hit he could do is attack biden on these vaccines i mean there's the top doctors on the planet can prove factually that if you take the vaccine, chances are it's not going to end up good. But right. yet he never brings it up. So then you dig deeper. Where's Kushner been? Hmm. Where's Ivanka been? Disappeared. Where have they been? Were they involved? Did they get some money out of this vaccine? Maybe that's the reason why he's not bringing it up. Where have the, they the, been? That, that could be. I don't know. You, you actually, I, I've never looked into that. But what I know for sure, there is no question. Operation Warp Speed and the COVID shot is Trump's place in the history books. He, they will, they will, and he knows this. He's going to get panned in the history books for everything, for stuff he did good. There, there's plenty of things Trump did that I agree with that I think he was a good leader on. And they're going to destroy him in the history books. Not on this one. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the guy who saved humanity because the COVID shot and his leadership on Operation Warp Speed. And there's no way. He's letting go of that. He needs that. That's going to happen. So you hear his fan base, you hear them boo him. This is the only time they boo him. It's when he talks about this shot and he talks about Operation Warp Speed and he'll take it because he wants his place in history. And I mean, that's that's on brand for him, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, 
it's that's what's going on with him. You know? Yeah, that's what I. He did have a lot of good policies. You know, I think if you would have just been a little bit know, quieter, you know, I mean, we didn't have any problems. That's for yeah. sure. Or less when problems. He got an office. It was, you know, in New York City. It was like, <laughs> At the end of the world. In New York, yeah. No, in but California. when New York City, when Trump wins that, that night, you know, when we wake up after that night. Yeah. Like New York City is like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this horrendous moment and then i go to one of my good buddies pete one of the best social studies teachers i ever met and he goes mike you know um i i think uh this first day in office actually it was and he goes mike do you know that trump repealed uh the tpp the trade partnership of the pacific i said oh i, di I didn't know that um hillary clinton was for that thing and um Hoffa, Hoffa's son, who heads the Teamsters, called Trump up to thank him because this was an affront to labor. And it's like, wait a minute, how come the, how come I'm not hearing about this anywhere? So you know, he certainly did good things, and he did good things that you wouldn't expect a Republican president to do either. But you know, orange man bad. Uh, just that derangement syndrome is, I hate to say, is a real thing. People really were unable. Uh, and that's something that that I love that that I think Bobby Kennedy's been doing is he's doing exactly that. Trump was right here. Trump was wrong here. Trump was right. I mean, that's what we need to do. That's what we need in leadership. Go through your W's and your L's. I mean, that's what we got to do, you know? Well, what I do like seeing with uh, Bobby and <clears throat> Trump, they're not going, I think they have at this moment, they have a pretty good mutual respect for each other. They're not really hitting each other with anything. I mean- Later down the road, I'm sure that might change. But, uh, you know, right now, I think they're pretty respectful to each other at, at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think the once once Bobby went independent, uh, Trump went at him uh, with some comments, just made it clear, you know, it's a new day, you know, right? Which which, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. This is going to be this is going to be a competition for sure. And I don't think uh, anybody no good leader would shy away from competition. That's what that's what we need here. Right you know? now, you you uh, live in New York, right? I, I asked this question like three different guests. So we're in Florida. Um, if I put 500 people in a room right now and I said Joe Biden or Bobby Kennedy here, I think we would get 499 that would say Bobby Kennedy and one for Joe Biden. Maybe one. Maybe one. Is is it the same in New York, do you think? Like, really, I'm, I'm being dead honest because I look, no, at the, I, I look at the poll numbers. <laughs> the but I look at the poll numbers and I think they're bullshit. Like, I, I don't I don't believe 70 percent of people believe Joe Biden is a better choice than anyone else. Why is what is it with New York, California? Why is it like, you know, no offense to the man. He can hardly even walk anymore or speak, but I know. he's I know. he's the choice. Why? It's almost sad to watch. I mean, you're basically watching a guy right. just deteriorate. Right. It, it, it is. It's, it, it is bizarre. But I think the one thing that this speaks to more than anything else is the unbelievable power of the media beast of what the media can do and and get people to believe and not believe. I think there's uh, too many people who aren't tuned into um, truthful platforms like yours that, that right. aren't really digging in. And so it becomes lesser of two evils. And in New York, <laughs> that yeah. means Biden. But we got 12 months ahead of us. And Bobby Kennedy is just 
He's a phenom. He's the the skion of one of the most legendary families in America. I think we're going to start to see this change. The most recent poll, the Harvard-Harris poll, uh, had him at about 22% in a three-way race. And that's right at the jump right now. So um, the best independent candidate in history up until now was Ross Perot. Ross and Perot. Ross Perot Ross finished Perot, yeah. with 19%. That's where he finished. And Bobby, with a year ahead of him, is at 22%. So for me, I think a lot of it is education, getting out there, people knowing that there is another choice. Um, I think a lot of this is smoke and mirrors, that people have not been exposed to the degree that uh, people in Florida have been or are, you know, hey, listen, the best of New York's in Florida, right? I mean, the best of New York. <laughs> I'm blaming they, 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 they keep coming. Yeah. They're here like, they I'm like, coming, right? yeah, I'm <laughs> like, remember, remember yeah. my, I'm, my buddy Sal out of nowhere. I see him down here from New York and I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to open up a pizza taco shop. I'm done with New York. I go, what the oh, hell is a, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, you guys can't have coal fired ovens anymore for your pizza. <laughs> so, I mean, what the hell? So, uh, bring it here. We like it. It's so, really good. There goes your bread. Your bread's yeah, fucked. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I lived in New York city for the past, like 15 years or so. Um, I, I hopped over the border into Long Island, back to where I, <laughs> where, I where I was born and I grew up. It's it's a little saner here. I always wrong. I was always a city boy at heart. I I loved I loved being in the metropolis and all the energy of the city. But COVID really did knock it out of me. And um, it's not as crazy world in in everywhere besides New York City. You know what I mean? Like there's the little normalcy happening still. So. Yeah, right. Like they uh, are selling. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, you know, you know she, me she's gonna kill me one day. Yeah. Uh yeah, they're selling you, you know me parks selling a lollipop with fentanyl in it in New York. She goes up to the cop and the cop goes, There's nothing I can do. Right, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. She was on and and I thought she was like kind of like kidding in a way, but I was like, Are you serious? And she's like, No, yeah. He said there's nothing I could do. My hands are tied. Fentanyl to a kid in a lollipop. I mean, that's, that's 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 crazy. And, and yeah, there's um, what what's happened to law enforcement in New York City is is a bugged out situation. Um, safety in New York City, um, and now this migrant crisis as oh. well too. All of these things are just um, mind blowing. And and um, I think is a little bit of an example of what we talked about earlier of a remaking of a society creating a problem so that you can bring in something new uh fool people uh to what is actually happening um so yeah i did get out of new york city myself for me and my family but i'm still in new york not leaving new york I'm staying and i'm fighting um we, and we got some great great fighters here man we've been doing some really good stuff and i think it's important for a number of us that are positioned to battle and to fight and to organize and to lead we we, we can't we can't all go to to florida and tennessee and you yeah. know we need people in these states new york is a trendsetter we need people fighting back and pushing back here um because the it leads the nation i just think it's important can you all pull up uh, the super pack when you get that yeah re really quick when, when you talk about the uh migrants right uh i always wonder this and and this I, this is coming out of my mouth i hope this doesn't happen of course but with all the stuff happening now in Israel and, and, you know, now maybe Iran getting involved, who knows, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. But the people coming across the border, you know, we don't know who they are. It's not Mexicans. It's everybody different from all over the place. But do you anticipate a terror attack, maybe not like 9-11, but happening, God hope, hope not, but in a bigger city such as New York, maybe California, Chicago? I don't know. I um. I don't. I do have to admit this isn't one of my like areas of expertise of like researching and really following everything that's going on. I do actually believe the majority of the migrants and immigrants that are coming in have horrible lives and want a better life. And they're being used horribly by the cartels and by this multi-billion dollar, billion, tens of billions of dollar industry that has turned them into basically chattel and cattle that they're just throwing them around for other um other interests for money interests and then like the Soroses of the world and yeah. those who, who see a different world they, they want to create lands that are nearly ungovernable they want to create places where everybody's at each other's throat if we're all at each other's throat we're not storming the castle no. we're, we're not going over the right. moat we're not going over the gate and so so there's all of that stuff that's involved but i do believe the majority of the people are are working class people poverty stricken people that are in tough situations. I don't think you you go across the the planet and in these treacherous situations uh, when you don't have to. Like you're in a bad situation, looking for something better. So I don't really put it on them so much. It's on. I mean, it's on those that are allowing it. I mean, there's a way to have a sane, legal, documented immigration system. It, it's not hard. I mean, it's been done. You know, and I think that's the thing that Bobby Kennedy just is talking about. I mean, Bobby recently has said nobody really supports what's happening at the border. I mean, they might say it, but no, he's like, it's 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 unsupportable. Nobody could go and view what's happening there and say, oh, yeah, I, 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 I love that. Yeah, Great idea, guys. <clears throat> yeah. Great idea. Keep I, coming. I had read an article, uh, I just want to make sure it's true, that the mayor in New York, there was something passed like 50 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe even longer, that if immigrants come in there, that's a sanctuary state, and they have to take care of them. Sanctuary city. Like, right. he can't get out of it, uh, and that he's been trying to do the executive orders, but there's nothing he can do to break that. Is that accurate? New York City is a sanctuary city. Um, all it takes is the political will. He so can he do can it. do it. The mayor of New York City shut down the city, has everybody fired who won't take a shot in their arm, won't let kids get a slice of pizza if they didn't get a shot that they didn't want to get. And you're telling me he can't temporarily at least like hold off this sanctuary city issue based on an emergency proclamation? Of course he can. You did see that, right? In the Times, the Post, they were saying that in like 1940, 1950, this was passed, and he supposedly he's put in seven, eight executive orders that just won't work. You've seen that, right? Or heard that? I've I've heard it. I haven't delved deeply into it, but there is a a far left wing in in New York City that is powerful. And um, Eric Adams, I do not like Eric Adams. He's the reason why I'm a fired teacher. He's the reason why I I declined the shot. I'm suing him right now for over two years with Children's Health Defense backing us and Teachers for Choices involved. Um, So I'm not a fan of his, uh, but he is somewhat and at times a slave to the far left 
wing in New York City because they're very, very powerful. They have a lot of city council seats. Um, they have a lot of power all throughout the city. Um, if he had the political will to do this, but he's flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. He says, we can't do this. We can't handle this anymore. But we are a sanctuary city. We're not going to end it, but we're going to suspend it. But no, we're still going to keep it. Well, these people have every right to be here, but we can't. And he really is talking about every. And he does not have the political will and leadership to put New York City first and to do what needs to be done in this moment. Um, and then everybody just went, and then he'll point fingers at Kathy Hochul, yeah. another beauty governor that we have then they'll point at Biden they'll point around all of them will just point 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 they don't have the political will to do what they have to do that's really what it comes down to to say he can't do it I mean if he's saying like oh I can't it didn't work I can't you know hopefully it gets out of the news cycle soon that's what that's all I know Eric Adams that's all he cares about he just all he cares about out. is what's in the news cycle yeah. that's it yeah actually I got a story on that I got a story on that real quick a friend of mine who's unvaccinated, a fire New York City worker, uh, approached Eric Adams four or five months ago, maybe a little longer, something about that, and was talking about, I'm fired, I'm fired over the mandate, can you do anything to help me? Literally, the mayor of New York City said to her, no one's talking about that now. And what he meant was, it's not in the news. And she's sitting there like, I'm fired, <laughs> like, I don't have a job. Yeah, I don't care if it's in the news or not, buddy. I have bills to pay. Pull up the New York Post yeah. article. Uh, take us through when when you got relieved, fired from the job over this BS. Yeah, so um, I um, yeah, we Not didn't even get up to that. So so all I think all we went through before was the testing. They forced us to test, and we sued over the testing, and we, we had we had a victory there. But then after a year of mandatory testing in New York City. The vaccine comes up and then there's talk about, oh, yeah, that was the headline from when we sued over the testing. Right. Yeah. I wanted to bring but that up just to show that how much work you've done. Yeah, we did. The, we, that was the first lawsuit in in, uh, in 2020. We sued them in 2020. 2020. That was a while ago. Yeah. So then then coming up in August of 2021, um vaccine mandates are coming. And I'm talking to Randy Weingarten. She's the president of the American Federation of Teachers. That's the national parent to the New York City Teachers Union. And they're all saying there's not going to be a vaccine mandate. But then she goes on Meet the Press. And on Meet the Press, she flip-flops. And she says, no, we have to support mandatory vaccination. That gave the green light to de Blasio, to Mayor de Blasio. And right after that, he said, we're going to do a mandate. It came from Randy Weingarten. If she doesn't go on and meet the press and she doesn't say that, it wouldn't have happened. Because the truth is, in a lot of ways, she's more powerful than the mayor of New York City. So then de Blasio institutes that. We have a big rally in August of 2021. We get 3,000 people at City Hall protesting against the mandate. A month later after that, when school starts after the first day of school, I think it was, we got three, 4,000 people down at Foley Square. We had Del Big Tree came out and speak oh, protesting wow. against the mandates. <laughs> then they go after the firefighters and the cops. And so they took us one at a time. Wow. First, they went after the teachers and they went after the firefighters. Right. And when they take on the firefighters and the cops and the municipal employees, they start to organize. And literally in like two, three weeks, they get 20,000 people over the Brooklyn Bridge. It was at that time the largest protest in the world for medical freedom in modern history. 
20,000, the people I know that were counting stopped counting after 20,000 over the Brooklyn Bridge. There's a lot of black and white photos of this. After that, January 5th, 2022, we go to Albany, New York, the capital of Albany, when that genius Governor Hochul, who replaced the disgraced Cuomo, said, we're going to get it done. We're going to get a COVID vaccine mandate for kids in New York. Well, we got showed up on the first day of the session with 4,000 people right in front of where her offices were, right in front of the Capitol. She locks down the Capitol, won't let anybody in if they're not vaccinated or tested. Now, Mike, <laughs> scared Mike they, can literally just, scared of us. they can just go out of nowhere and say, pretty much out of nowhere and say, kids have to get this right now. Boom, stamped, done. So when she was saying we're going to get it done, she was saying they were going to, vote on it, have a bill, do the whole process. But when we showed up with 4,000 people, that was a moment. The Republicans in New York were like, whoa, <laughs> look at this. <laughs> they came out and they spoke with us and they spoke for freedom and liberty and they realized, holy cow, maybe this isn't a losing issue. And we finally started to get some support there, which was good. And then just two, three weeks after that, January 21st, something like that, we get 40,000 people in Washington, D.C. at Defeat the Mandates. That's Children's Health Defense, Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, um, uh, FLCCC, and a bunch of groups came together to do Defeat the Mandates. Bobby Kennedy spoke there. And that, right after that, D.C., Boston, Philly, maybe even um, New Orleans and New York City, their vaccine passports all fall. Hmm. Right after defeat the mandates, within weeks of it, they all start to fall. And then the trucker convoy comes oh, in Canada. Yeah, the trucker. Yeah. And you get a million wild. people in Ottawa. Now that ends up being the biggest medical freedom protest of all time. That this was ends wild. Up being that one. And what was so wild to me watching this was in October, I saw the firefighters all the way to that. Just successively, we had the biggest ever medical freedom rally happen one after the next in North America. And we just had this huge, huge momentum. And I feel like ever since then, we've been winning. It's been slow and it's been incremental. But I feel like ever since then, we've been winning. That whole time we're suing, Children's Health Defense is backing multiple lawsuits for teachers, firefighters, cops, um, sanitation workers, medical professionals. We're suing to get our jobs back. We're suing to get rid of the mandates. We are getting rid of the mandates. I haven't. I won in court that I was supposed to have my job back. New York City appealed. So I got another year to go through the appeal yeah. process. Um, but listen, civil rights aren't won in a year or two or three. Civil right. rights, like think about it. Uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Someone said this to me recently. That was law, like separate but equal, was law for 100 years, right? It took 100 years for Brown versus the Board of Education to overturn that. So I talk to people all, all the time. They're like, I, I lost my job. I'm going to have to leave New York City. Like, And I'm like, I know it sucks and I'm fighting for you, but we're making history. We're fighting like civil rights 2.0. This is a civil rights battle that we're fighting, you know? And, um, you know, we're, it, it's it, it's not all fun and games. It's not all easy. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you have sacrifice for it. But I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for my grandkids, you know? And I feel, you know, and when all of this went down, the only people that were really, really behind us at the height of this were Children's Health Defense and Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy was there. He, Him, when he was the chair of Children's Health Defense, he backed our lawsuits, put hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars behind these lawsuits. He came out to the streets of New York City in a freedom rally, and he rallied with us, you know, and um, 
called for the mandates to be taken down and 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 what was happening you know calling out what was happening to to democracy in our republic and civil liberties so um you know i'm forever indebted to him and children's self-defense for doing that because um there wasn't enough of us to stand up and so all of those who did you know i mean Biden didn't come out with us in the streets of New York City. Trump didn't come out with us in the streets of New York City. Trump was definitely better than Biden. There's no question. Um, but Bobby was really in the thick of what I believe. I believe this is the fight, the fight of our generation. Poor Bob, the super PAC. And then because Bobby had seen everything that you have done, he had made you the organizer of the grassroots, right? Yeah. So um, I worked for uh, Children's Health Defense for about two years as the grassroots organizer. Um for children's health defense and uh uh it, it was definitely uh bobby is definitely involved mary holland the president she's from new york um god bless mary she just does so much great stuff and uh she she helped to get me in as well too and um uh i don't know four or five months ago i ended up leaving children's health defense on good terms uh now i'm working for uh american values uh 2024 which is a super PAC designed to um right now get bobby kennedy elected president. And not only that, it's a medical freedom super PAC. It actually existed before Bobby announced to run and was supporting candidates that supported medical freedom. Hmm. So this, the super PAC even goes beyond Bobby. That's our endeavor right now, uh, but we're going to continue to be around fighting for medical freedom, no matter what happens. And I'll go over to the Substack. So what do you, so what is Bobby's plans? He gets in how does he attack this education? How does he attack the mandates? How does he attack the border? The, you know, those three main things, I think that, you know, just the average person is concerned about. That doesn't dive deep, deep. You hear border, you hear mandates, you know, education, especially if you have a younger one. What's Bobby's plans to fix this? Because it is going south. One of... I feel at this moment in history, this is medical freedoms moment. You know, there's different, you know, there was, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, it was the civil rights movement's moment. I, I think there are certain times in history where certain things can happen. If Bobby Kennedy becomes president of the United States, he could come in and change how the medical establishment functions in America virtually by executive order. Because remember, it is the president who controls the NIH, mm -hmm. the FDA, the CDC. It's not Congress. He doesn't have to go to Congress and ask them to vote for who the head of the NIH is. He doesn't have to do that. So he has a medical freedom platform that is astonishing. There's never been anything quite like this before. I'll just give you a couple examples of things that he could do probably in the first 100 days that he could do on his own without congressional approval. Uh, just real quick, will, Mike, Mike, somebody yeah. who's watching this, listening to this, if, if they want to add to uh, the fundraising for the CHD fundraiser, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, with, with Children's Health Defense, uh, we're having a fundraiser in New York that's supporting the lawsuits that are happening in New York. Some have already been successful and a lot are still going. We're in appeals and such. So um, if you go to teachersforchoice.substack.com right at the top, there we have a, a link to it. Click on that and the links to children's health defense and how to donate are there. But yeah, we would certainly appreciate it. It's really expensive, the lawsuits and individuals can't do it on their own. Um, so that's why we need these organizations that have put these legal resources all in one spot 
uh, we're two years into the litigation and we're nowhere near done, you know, so uh, yeah. please do support CHD on this stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and every dollar helps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Small amounts, large amounts, whatever you could do. I apologize to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure everybody saw that. And, you know, if you got a little something extra, throw it. We had uh, Dr. Kirk Moran. And that was the first time he had ever seen, I ever heard, and I've talked to other doctors where the government came in between patient and doctor. And he actually got indicted. He's out on uh, pre-release. And he was a breast implant doctor and just wasn't with the mandates. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a unique situation for sure. Um, Bobby, Bobby's platform. Right? Yeah, I cut you off with the fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, what were we talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. So, right. So some of the things that Bobby could do um, to overhaul what's happening with the medical establishment, one is that they'll make it illegal for uh, government employees with the NIH, CDC, FDA to financially benefit from any product that they are overseeing and regulating. It sounds like one plus one equals two, but it's not in America today. If you work at the NIH and you are regulating and approving the product, you can financially benefit once it's approved. Oh, yeah, everything's fine with that, right? There's no way anything poorly could, could, could happen with that. Bobby will change that within the first 100 days, and that does not have to go through the whole process of a law and, and, and things changing uh, of that nature. He will, anybody who has been involved in allowing a medical product to come to uh, market in an unsafe fashion. He will ban those people from being involved in the committees that make these decisions. I think he has said something like it'll be a ban for six years. It'll be a ban from them from getting NIH funding as well, too. He's also going to come in. And there was just a report on but this. Mike, 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 uh, Mike, <clears throat> the person on the outside, and I believe that he will because I watched him read his books. They're going to say the the response to that, in my opinion, would be, yeah, okay. How's he going to do that? He's going to do that till he gets in, and then he's got to go up against the agenda. Even if he's in there, the agenda is still there. So how is he going to go in and stop Big Pharma that is way more powerful than him, the agenda that's more powerful than him? How's he going to do that? So when it comes to federal health, the president is uniquely empowered to be the overseer of this. Um, that's why it's so dangerous for him to actually become the president is because he ends up getting executive authorities. He's going to appoint the head of the NIH. He's going to appoint the head of the FDA. He's going to appoint the head of the CDC. That's going to be Bobby Kennedy. And see, then Mike, they appoint everybody else under them. See, Mike, see how I just had to ask you that is because I've been so brainwashed that the president can't actually do that, that he would have to go through 50,000 chains, chains of command to get anything like that done, because that's what's been put in my head. I don't know about your head, but definitely my head that he couldn't do that just. Okay, I want this, this and that. Well, the other guys took the black. No, he can't. Now, 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 he now can't makes do sense. That. Now, he can't do that everywhere, right? right? I don't know. And, and I'll, you know, he's going to do a lot to end the forever wars, uh, to stop funding that's going abroad and bring it home. But when you talk about the CIA military industrial complex and oh. that behemoth, I, you, you put, I don't know. What's gonna, I don't know everything that's going to happen there. That is going to be very difficult to untangle. I know Bobby's going to do everything he can, but, but just being honest, that is a quagmire that, 
man, we'd have to probably do three, four hours to just even scratch the surface. But when it comes to the medical industrial complex, that's different. These agencies are overseen by the president. The president has unbelievable authority. And then what do these agencies do? They end up approving products that we ingest. They end up approving things that our babies sleep in. They end up approving and allowing drugs to get to market, vaccines to get to market. Bobby can immediately come in and start overhauling. And here's the biggest thing that he can do. Um, and he's he's vowed to do this multiple times. And I know he's going to do this. Wow, so he can um, do that. The, wow. The, N- the NIH right now is really, really focused on new drug and vaccine research. Let's get new drugs. Let's oh, spend all the new drugs. No way. <laughs> yeah. What he is going to do, it's going to be one of the first things he does is he's going to call in all the brass at the NIH and those who aren't on board with this. I think he's going to take his time and clear them out. That funding is all going to be redirected from investing in new drugs and vaccines. And it's going to go into investigating what is the source of chronic illness in children and adults. Mm. The president does that not Congress. The president is the one who sets that agenda. And when the president is rolled by big pharma, Fauci does that. That's who does it because the president defers. And listen, Trump deferred to Fauci too, because he didn't know it wasn't his area. And when, and when Trump comes into the white house, Pfizer spends a million dollars on his inaugural ball. And so there you go. Trump was in their pocket right away. And Trump responds to power and you respect power and money. So that's a big thing that happened. Bobby's not going to do that. Bobby knows how all of this stuff works. And that's why he's such a big threat, because he will come in and in the area of public health in America and agriculture and food and regulating what happens there. He will transform this country in a way that will resonate for a generation or more. I mean, I'm getting the chill saying it and thinking about it. And for all the things that you don't support on Bobby or the issues where I differ, you know, I don't agree with every single thing that he says, but these major core fundamental things, nobody can do this, but Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And that's why I think it's just so important in this moment that we get behind him. He has this moment because he could transform certain things. And I don't know that he could transform everything, but he could transform certain things that'll resonate for our kids and grandkids. And it's just, it's just too critical of a moment. And he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to hit him. Right. You know, you're dealing with a lawyer and a Kennedy. I mean, that's another one that they, I, I've seen. I've seen all the stations because they're all in cahoots. Try to hit him on the lawyer thing. You'll want a lawyer as the president in there, so you can't, you know, so that you can't get your head taken off, right? You know, so that you can't well, get I mean, the old joke. The old <laughs> joke. I mean, like, I mean, politicians are lawyers. I mean, like, right. but the difference is, Bobby has been a lawyer for the people. He's cleaned up the Hudson. He sued Merck. He sued Big Pharma. He's he's taking on cases for vaccine injured children that nobody would take on. He's taking on cases for fired workers that nobody would would do. So, um, he's an attorney. He knows. But he knows how the sausage is made. He mm-hmm. knows what the secrets are. And he's learned this. And he says this, that that's what you need to know to deconstruct these captured agencies. You want to deconstruct a captured EPA, CDC, NIH, FDA? Take them to court. Take them to court for 15 years and see what they try to do to you. That's why I think it's such a big plus that he's a lawyer because he, know, he knows the statutes. He knows how they're written. He, he can read the law where, you know, Biden certainly can't read anything. But, you know, and Trump, I thought Trump was a great president, but
but like you said, some things he's just over his pay grade. Well, yeah. You know, what well, do do you think? You know, uh, between Biden and Trump, both now looking at Bobby going independent, who do you think scared more? Do you think Biden scared um, more? or Do you think Trump scared more? Meaning, uh, assuming, assuming uh, Biden can feel. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I I I think Trump is scared more. Um, but we got. 12, 13 months ahead of us. Right. And Bobby appeals to so many. I don't know if you saw Beanie Siegel just yeah. endorsed Bobby yeah. Kennedy. Beanie Siegel's like a hip hop legend. Yeah. No, no, we were, we, just talk, we were just talking to him to come on because we're from Philly. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we know, yeah That's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Rob was just talking about yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was talking to someone in our, in our PR <laughs> office a couple of weeks before that happened. And they're like, oh, this hip hop guy's coming. I'm like, I'm like really? a 90s hip hop guy. Kind yeah. of. Like, yeah. I love 90s hip hop. I'm like, what hip hop guy? And I hear him rustling his papers. He's like, Beanie. I'm like, Beanie Siegel? Yes. <laughs> so, and just what my point is about like Beanie Siegel, and there's going to be more. I mean, I can't say yeah. much now, but that, that's that's like the beginning of, of what's about to happen. That that's that's going to start hitting into Biden's base. That's going to start changing stuff. So I think right now Trump is scared, but the Democrats are going to get scared. And I saw who's this guy Phillips, a congressman, a Democrat congressman. He's now saying he's about to announce he's getting into the Democratic primary. Bobby's out, and you got Sank j- jumped in, right? And yeah. now I think that Congress. So. Oh, you mean um, they want to fatten their bank accounts with campaign money because they know they have no shot to win and there's a spot to to, to go on a trip next year? Well, I'll say, I'll say this. Biden is such a terrible candidate. Everybody should be getting into the primary. If you're a Democrat, if you really want the Democrats to win, Biden? You're going with Biden? No debates, no discussion? You're going with that? It's sad watching that. I guy. think the you're going to see Michelle. I think Michelle's going to pop up. I think Joe's I don't, right. I don't, think, I don't think she wants it because if you look at her historically, she has never really done anything political. And all of the – and I, I do know Democrat, like Democrat operatives and political people mm-hmm. and stuff. And everything I've ever heard about her is like she hates politics. She liked being – she was the first lady. She did that stuff. But she didn't – she wasn't what Hillary Clinton was. She didn't take on whole initiatives and like run like no. run half the presidency Well, look what stuff. she did with school lunches. She, she mm-hmm. made every kid not eat school lunch for, <laughs> for two years and ruined the post office is what she yeah. did. Yeah, right. I mean, she did a couple of first lady programs, right? I mean, that's really all she did. She didn't like 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 Bill Clinton. I remember him assigning Hillary to like real serious committees and oversight and stuff like that. You knew Hillary was like she was like ready to go like from day one. Yeah, she took her shot of steroids and was ready to go. (laughs) I don't think we see any signs of that from Michelle. So I I personally disagree. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think. Ultimately, to your question, I think I agree with Bobby. He's going to hurt Trump and Biden because he's going to win. He's going to end up taking from both of them. And I think you're going to see this move. You know, I think right now Trump's really afraid. But like Beanie Siegel and others, like I think you're going to start to see he's going to chop more away at Biden. And then they're going to get confused. And the bottom line is the establishment doesn't know what to do. They don't know what to make of this. They're like every day waking up, checking the headlines to see what's the worry, what's the move. Uh, there's never been an independent candidacy like this in, in history. So, and the more, the, I guess you could call it Genra, the more Genra that you have supporting Bobby, I mean, I mean, he's got a really good chance. You know, if, if he really gets a lot of different genres around, you know, 
just an example, get the country, yeah. get a NASCAR, you know, a couple hip hop singer actors, whatever that, that alone can yeah. change the game. No, I agree. And I think we're seeing some of that and I'm seeing and hearing rumblings behind the scenes of, of more and more of that. And I think you have a lot of people that are just tired of what we've been stuck in and more than anything else, I think Bobby represents a real change of something really different. He might not line up on every single issue that you have, but on these core. And the other thing about that that's important is the heal the divide is not just a, a slogan. It's not just a term. I mean, the idea of like, we're Democrats. We sit here. We talk to us. We're Republicans. We sit here. That's not how that's not how government's supposed to run. People are supposed to make alliances and form coalitions and do what's best for the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I believe it was it was uh, George Washington who had said political parties could be the demise of this country. Mm-hmm. And man, are we seeing that now? Mm-hmm. So the fact that Bob, the fact that I don't agree with everything that Bobby puts forth there is actually attractive to me because it makes me think he's going to be able to build these weird, diverse coalitions to make things really happen. I know it's it's hard for us to see that because we want a candidate that is exactly us. And it's just, it's just, we're natural. We want one that every single box checks for us. And I think we should rethink that a little bit. We should think about what is the good for the nation overall? Somebody that could talk through all of these issues and, and really listen and change his mind. I mean, he was pro open border until not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And he went down there and he said, I was wrong. I didn't, I never went. I didn't look. I didn't talk to the people. I was wrong. Like, I don't know when I've seen that in politics. And some people might view that as weakness. I don't. I view that as as an apex strength uh, in leadership because you have to shift when you're wrong. Otherwise, you do wrong stuff. And we talk about all the time on this podcast, you know, at least me, my opinion, I think Tommy too, get rid of the D and the R in front of people's names and show me what what they're for. And like you said, it's not going to be everything you agree with, probably. But whatever those core values are. But too many times people see the D. I have to vote that way. I can't vote against that. I see the R. I have to vote that way. I can't vote against that. And the other thing that's appealing with, you know, not just Bobby, but some of these other candidates that are running for president is, you know, I'm 38 years old, so I'm an older millennial, I guess. I'm not the lazy millennial, though. I'm the older older <laughs> millennial. But, you know, that generation down is not watching, at least in my opinion, mainstream media. We're not home at 6 right. o'clock to turn CNN or Fox on. You know, it's That's consuming right. it in a different way. So if you can appeal to those masses through podcasts like this, through other social medias, I think that's a huge benefit for a guy like Bobby Kennedy, for Vivek, who's who does a lot of that stuff on the Republican side, to hit that because they're not watching those those mainstream. The old people, my dad and my mom and and that are, but I think this uh, platform right here is huge for a candidate. Yeah, I think I think you're a million percent right about that. Um, Bobby himself has said this will be the first presidential race decided by podcast. <laughs> I think he's correct about that. Yeah. I um, There's a, a printer uh, that I use locally for just flyers and things when I need them done. And I printed a lot of stuff there. And there's this like 24-year-old girl that works there. You know, She's a lovely employee. We, we have like a cordial professional relationship. And one day I had a, a flyer of Bobby on one side. She was like, I love that flyer. I was like, oh, really? 
And she was like, yeah, me and my boyfriend, we just love him so much. And he's showing up in our social feed so much more, not just stuff I'm putting out. And it's like, oh, look at that. And, you know, I definitely seeing that. And you want to know something I think that's really resonating with people with him, him flipping off of mountains in mm-hmm. him, like, you know, doing yeah. the chin ups. And I think it really is resonating, like make America healthy again. It's like, yes, you know, and um I, that resonates with me as well too. When's the last time we had a truly healthy mm-hmm. president? Well, it's, it's been a little while, been a while. right now. You know, we've had some, yeah. but um, but yes. Yeah, so I so I agree. I agree. I think it's really exciting. But those people need to show up. Those people need to believe their vote matters. Those people need to believe there is still a democratic process. And as I started off earlier on this, there is. Listen, they cheat. They cheat. Everybody cheats. There's cheating, cheat. especially yeah. right. Democrats. Republicans, uh, you know, electronic voting, stuffing ballots, uh, repressing votes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. The game's unfair. Okay. Means you don't play? No. You play anyway. It doesn't matter if the game's unfair. You come out, you step up, and you play. Um, There is still a process that the people can have their voices heard. It it is there. I know it is because I've been a part of it over the past number of years. And it's not just simply voting. It's so many things. This podcast is a part of it. You know, there's so many different things we need to do to keep democracy alive. As long as your platform and others like it can inspire people to know that. Um, I think the next 12 months is going to be one hell of a ride. Yeah. Last couple of things. Um, One thing I noticed that they're starting to do with Bobby is they're going through like the Anthony Fauci book, other books, and they're picking one or two sentences, and then they're going through piles and piles of facts, and maybe three things are wrong, okay? And they can prove that they're wrong, but the other 999,000 are right. But they're holding on to those three things, even those that say that they're not right, they're not left. It's just that they've come across this, and this is wrong. Like they're picking at Bobby right now, kind of like they did with Trump when he was running. If you oh, were, yeah. if you were for how Trump, how did that work out for them? Right. How did that work out? You got buried. If you were <laughs> running for Trump the first time, are you running from Trump? No, I'm, I'm voting for him. You know, you know that's and I see that now with Bobby. Are you voting for Bobby? No. Hey, I'm gonna probably vote for him. And now I see, you know, on podcasts when they talk about Bobby, they're pulling things and they're saying, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. He's just a lawyer. Just on a few things. Now they're not doing that to other people. Because they're scared of Bobby, okay? Yeah. Now, what would you say to people watching this that have seen one of those podcasts where he was wrong about, I don't know, three or four things in his books or whatever, and somehow because he's wrong about four things, that disqualifies everything else that he's right about. And that's and you know as well as I do, that's how the world is right now. Well, I, I just saw one of these. The Associated Press just came out with um, the the Died Suddenly book, Ed Dowd's book. One of the photos on the cover has a child who died. Ed, Ed Dowd's suddenly. the man, by the way. We had him in. Right, he but, is, yeah. he, Ed yeah. Dowd's a cool dude. Shout out, Ed Dowd. I love him. I had him on my show on Steve's Yeah, TV. he's awesome. He's the best. And one of the people on the cover, um, the kid who had died suddenly, um, did not get the vaccine and the child mistakenly ended up as one of that. And AP is all over that. And who wrote the foreword to the book? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah. So that's what they're doing. One photo that's wrong. What about the other 500? What right. if there's one photo in that whole book 
And that's what you want to do. What I would say to anybody that wants to get caught up on a fact check that is in, this detailed into the minutia, come on, come on. You know what they're doing. If we're going to fact check this one, let's fact check the other 499. And let's see how many of them got the shot right before they died. Let's see if their picture belongs on this book. You can't just take these, these tiny little details and act like, checkmate, we've won. It's over. That just does not make sense. This is too important of a dialogue and a debate and, and a competition here for us to pretend we've won when we haven't. You you haven't won because you found one minor error. You have not. Um, it's ridiculous. Right. It's a ridiculous argument. And, and like you said with that, so when you see that, just take two seconds and just Google it. Right. Google it. And if he is wrong, so what? We're all, You're, wrong. We're all, wrong, we're all wrong sometimes, sometimes. right? You know, it's not good, but you know, they don't have much to play off of. So I, I, that's what they're playing off of right now. Now, Mike, when you got, you know, when you lost your job and you had a very important job, a very emotional job, I would have to imagine, you know, in your heart, you know, what you're dealing with, how did you keep going? Because a lot of people would have been like, you know, these kids are my life. These adults are my life and every individual is important, but you know, they're especially important. And when you lose that and have to walk away from that, those kids are like your family, I would have to imagine, and adults. How did you have the drive to keep going? And that's, and this is kind of a message for anyone out there that's having a tough time. How did you just keep pushing to where you're at now? Yeah, that was that was a... And I'm sorry you had to go through that, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank. Well, you know, luckily for me, it made me and my family stronger. Um, but that didn't happen for others. A lot of All others right. who had to leave New York City, leave New York State, uh, leave America. I know people had to leave America because they lost their careers. And reinventing yourself isn't easy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by like some 40 and 50 year old people re reinventing themselves, um, feeling devastated. And a lot of times when you get a job teaching in New York City, a firefighter, uh, well, maybe not a firefighter, sanitation worker, certain jobs you get. You're like, okay, I'm not getting paid a ton, but I got security. I got my pension. I got my health benefits. You know, I have that. Um, you know, when I told, I was 27, I think, when I told my dad I'm going to go work as a New York City teacher, he smiled so big and he said, you're going to be a part of a real union, Mike. Hmm. You know, he was so proud of me. He was so happy. In his mind, my son is going to be okay now. You know, he's not the delusional rock star with his guitar <laughs> doing something real and then in this moment my union failed me you know what i mean and weren't there for me and there's so many people out there that don't have the capacity to reinvent themselves when this happened to me i had just bought my first house and my wife and i as we're in the process of realizing i'm about oh, to get fired man. we move into our house well, can you imagine that? and um i get fired and we're walking around my house one day with um, my two little kids and my wife looks at me and she says, Mike, we're going to lose our home. And I said, no, we're not. And I knew we weren't. I, I knew it. I knew that we, she knew we were, she, she was, we were losing our home. It was very traumatic. And I knew because every day I, I was tutoring, I was hustling. I was finding substitute work. I was working all of my connections. My wife and I, um, my wife lost her job too. I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but we went through this together kind of, and we would wake up and we would just, boom, we were in, where's the work? What are we going to do? How we, you know, 
And not everybody can do that. We viciously went at it. We refused and we both landed on our feet. Uh, for me, what actually ended up happening was Mary Holland at Children's Health Defense said, Mike, I think we have a full-time position for you. And I became a full-time activist. So it was really God at play for me. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really a, a tragedy happened to redirect me into something brand new is, is how it feels. Um, so it was... We, we put everything we had into it. But I know people who woke up in depressions most days. You know, I know people who woke up, their spirits were broken. And like you could say, come on, suck it up. But listen, every, not everyone's built the same. You know, I was I was blessed. I have a great wife, strong support system. We worked all of our I was yeah, I was tutoring and substituting and, you know, driving all over Mike, the place. Your dad was a brick. Money. Your dad was a bricklayer. Yeah, you're you're a tough yeah. guy, bro. Yeah. Like your dad was a bricklayer. Right. Like, come on now. But I mean, shit. Right. Well, <laughs> you had, my, my you dad had a tough my... time. Go lay some bricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Um, I mean, shit. No, my 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 parents definitely um definitely instilled a, a good work ethic in me, a good like realistic foundation in me, um for sure. But um. So we, we were able to do it because we worked our asses off in a bad situation. We, we did not, me and my wife both, we did not stop. We kept going forward. We knocked on every door. We, we, we took advantage of every situation. But everybody needs to understand, not everybody can do that. Some people got their dream job and were ready to ride that job out to retirement. And what was done to them is, is a crime. It's horrendous what was done to them because they wouldn't inject something that has proven to be ineffective and possibly dangerous um i just really hope these lawsuits vindicate this because it's really it's destroyed so many lives and, and thank god it, it didn't destroy me or my family it we, we it did make us stronger and, and mike what about those adults and kids who got left behind what about them you know what about them uh, you, you you mean those who uh you know the, the, no no the kids that like you were teaching that yeah. you know you were tutoring oh. you know you're you know mike is you know mike because of a fucking shot that doesn't that kills you basically you know it's not just a social studies class you know in in um it's a special person city needed city to schools, do that kind of thing in in new york city schools there is always a shortage of math teachers science teachers and special ed teachers always it's yeah. it's how they function they're always in a shortage the shortages now are just insane and when they lost me, they lost me for a full year. They didn't replace me. They had substitutes that come in and out. They ended up giving these like waivers for anybody that's ever passed any test ever in their life could teach. Like, like you had a high school diploma, they'd let you teach. Um, they, um, New York City loves to scream about kids. They do not care about children at all that was pre-covid as well too they don't it's a political situation they're trying to manage one million children in the school system the mayor sits on top of it controls the whole thing they don't care about kids they have these political situations that they get completely tied up in and the covid shot was one of them and they ended up doing it to please their federal masters and um Kids were really, really, really hurt by that. And not, in New York, forget about New York City, across the whole country, kids are one, two, three, and four years behind. We we might have lost a generation from shutting down schools the way we did. Um, it's uh, it's disgusting. 
All right, Mike. Uh, I love to have you back on again and really dig into the kid things and, and what can be done to, to to help this out and and Bobby and everything else. Uh, thank you so much for your time and and I you really taught me a lot of things. Yeah, thank you, man. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. You guys were great. I, anytime, please have me come back on again because I love um, to. If you're, this is a lot of fun. If you ever are in Florida, fuck, let me know. Right. Yeah, we'll have a real good right. time. We'll go off for some coal-fired pizza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all your new, all, the, all your New York buddies are down here anyway. Yeah, hang out. A lot Can't... of them. A lot of them are. Yeah, a whole bunch. I know a whole bunch that are transplants down there. Hey, did you ever see um what what's the what's the hockey team down there? The Panthers. In the Florida. Panthers. Florida Panthers. They showed a Panthers game a couple months back playing against the Islanders. Everyone was cheering for the Islanders. Like all New York oh, yeah. was in there. Yeah. <laughs> they all moved down. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> we got people coming in every once in a while uh, from New York, and they're complaining about their team and, you know, Aaron yeah. Rodgers. That kind of sucks. But, uh, yeah, Mike, definitely love to have you back on. Thank you so much. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this. Thanks so much, guys. We'll, really have that, we'll have the fundraiser at the top, uh, the, the description, Substack, Instagram. Everything will be very, at the very top. Thank you, Mike. Keep keep doing what Thanks you're so doing. Much, and I'm sorry you and your wife had to go through what you had to go through. Well, it's God's plan, and um, th- things are going well. Things are going well. Thank awesome. God. You got a smile. That's all that matters. Thank you for your time, man.